There was something rather special that happened last Sunday, at least to the Philadelphia Eagles. This is a team that was known for going to the Super Bowl and not being able to win it. And a week ago, they won. Each of those players' life now is different than it was before. They're receiving accolades, sponsorships, they're going to have more money than they've received before. And the city of Philadelphia itself is different than it has been in the past. There's this new sense of pride that they haven't been before. So much so that the schools and the courts were closed on Thursday so that over a million people could go to the victory parade in Philadelphia. Life is different. Life is changed. All of us can relate to that. All of us can relate to life changing, to entering into a new phase of life. We move into different homes. We experience different teachers each year when we were in school. We've been in and out of relationships. We've had different jobs. It's a part of the human condition. It's a part of being human is that life changes. Our author of the Gospel of John experienced a life change. For most of his life, he had been a Jew, and now all of a sudden, he's a Christian. And what we have before us is a reflection on his faith. Why do I believe what I believe, and what does that matter? And this particular author has a creative way of expressing that, and that author has given us a presentation, a story, a sermon, an essay that tells us something about Jesus and that impact that that has on us. Our author likes to play with words. Our author likes to play with symbolism, metaphor, and foreshadowing all that icky, horrible stuff that I didn't like in my English classes we've got here in the Gospel of John. And as we're going to see in the story of Nicodemus, we're going to see a lot of symbolism, we're going to see a lot of play with words, but we're also going to see some major themes that run through the entire Gospel. But today I want us to look at the story of Nicodemus through the author's perspective. If the author is reflecting on his faith, what questions might he have asked? If we were to write a reflection on our faith, we may ask ourselves certain questions. We may ask scripture certain questions. We may ask our friends certain questions in order to come up with what it is we know. And how do we want to express that? So I want us to take a look at a few questions that maybe this author asked. And let's start with, what does it mean for me to say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior? Now, that's not the question that Nicodemus asked Jesus, but it's the answer that Nicodemus got. So we want to start with that. What does it mean for Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? We have this interesting conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And Jesus says that you need to be born anew in order to see the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean be born a second time? And, and we've got scriptures that say born from above and some that say born anew and some that say born again. Which word was it? It was the Greek word anathen. 
which means born from above, born anew, born again, born a second time. But it's one word, anathen. Which one are we supposed to hear? All of them. All of them. We're supposed to hear born from above. We're supposed to hear born anew. We're supposed to hear born again. In John Wesley's phrases, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he used phrases like new birth, rebirth, regeneration. That's what we're talking about. What we're talking about is new life. What it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior is that life is different. Life is changed. Life is new somehow. He says to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born anew. Well, what is the kingdom of God? I think most people, when they see the kingdom of God, or we talk about being born anew or born again, particularly they think of heaven. I would say not exactly and possibly only partially correct. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. That means the kingdom of heaven, if it's the reign of God, then it's wherever and whenever God's will is done. And the beauty of that is we don't have to wait for it. Because the presence of God and God's will is done here, in the here and now, as well as in eternal life. It's here and now. The kingdom of God is the presence of God right here among us. And so when we say that you have to be born anew to see the kingdom of God, we're not saying you've got to be born again in order to get to heaven. We're saying that you've got to have new life in Christ to experience the presence of the God here. To experience the presence of God in Jesus Christ here and in eternal life. Don't think of kingdom of God as this. Think of kingdom of God as that. Does that make sense? I think another question that the author would have asked is, okay, so with this new life in Christ, how... Am I being changed, moved, and influenced? The author can see that life is different. The author can see that things are changing, that he is changing. He's being influenced. He's being moved. But how? How is that happening? And again, our author plays with words. He says, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. And those who are with the Spirit are Spirit. And then he talks about that the wind blows wherever the wind wants to blow, Let's see, the exact words that he uses there are the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Spirit, wind, what is he talking about? Which one is he talking about? It's a Greek word, pneuma. P-N-E-U-M-A. Have you ever heard of pneumonia? It's the same word. Wind, spirit, and breath. The very breath of God is pneuma. He's not saying when the wind blows, he's saying the spirit, the spirit of God, the very breath of God blows. We can't see it, but boy, we can sense it. And we can feel it. The Holy Spirit whispers to us, nudges us, maybe sometimes even shoves us, kicks us, influences us, teaches us how to read scripture, teaches us what scripture is trying to say, gives us insight, helps us make decisions. This is the Holy Spirit, active and alive, 
This is the how. How am I being changed? How am I being moved? How am I being influenced? And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of the times we're okay with that. We're okay with the Holy Spirit giving us a little guidance to make good decisions. We're okay with the Holy Spirit urging us to go and do some things. But I think there are times when we say, I, I, wait, I don't like where the Holy Spirit's trying to send me right here. All right, God, let's have a talk about this because I, I'm not comfortable with this. Being a pastor is a second career for me. This isn't the life that I wanted, and it's not the life Steve signed up for when he married me. I did not want to go to seminary, and I did not want to work at a church. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but one of those primary reasons, I didn't want to live in the fishbowl where everybody criticizes or has something to say about my life. The choices that I make, what I wear, the car that I drive, where I live, how I say things. I didn't want that scrutiny on me. I didn't want to be a pastor. Six years ago, I became an associate pastor, and I found the best fit of a job I had ever had. While I was associate pastor, and everybody kept telling me, well, you know, you're ready to be a senior pastor. I'm like, no, no. Because I didn't want the responsibility or the weight of a church on these shoulders. I didn't want it. I liked having a safety net that it was their problem, not mine. The senior pastor. And then when I was brought to this church, I found the job that is the best fit for me that I have ever had. I don't always like where the Holy Spirit's telling me to go, but I can assure you of this. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, go that way and good luck. The Holy Spirit says, go that way and here's the things you're going to need to get there. And by the way, I'm waiting for you when you get there. The Holy Spirit equips us for that which the Holy Spirit calls us, sends us, moves us, changes us, influences us. That's God every day in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit. The author asks, what does it mean for Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? And the answer is that he got is a new life grounded in the cross. He asks, how are these changes and movements and influences happening to me? And the answer that he got is the Holy Spirit, active, alive, presence of God, moving among you. By the way, that's the kingdom of God. So I think maybe the author may have also asked, well, what does it mean to me now that I have this life? Or in other words, it's the so what question. So what? So what if I have this new life in Christ? So what if the Holy Spirit's moving around me? What am I supposed to do with that? The answer is you live it. Let's return once again to our story of Nicodemus. Because in Nicodemus' story, we have a theme that runs through the entire length of the gospel, and it's a symbolism, that wonderful word, that the author uses between light and darkness. He says that Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night. Well, literally, that could mean after the sun went down, it's dark outside, and so he's going under a cloak of darkness. He's going in secrecy. Nicodemus is not just a Pharisee. He's a Jewish leader. He's on the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. He's one of the top-notch dudes. 
He doesn't want his buddies seeing him go to talk to Jesus. So he goes at night. But metaphorically, he goes at night because he's going in his own spiritual darkness. He says to Jesus, we know that you got to be from God because you couldn't be doing the signs that you are doing unless you were from God. But Nicodemus really doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know the truth. He's confused. He's challenged, but I think he's also curious. The author wants us to see both images of night here. He went in secrecy, but he's also in his own spiritual darkness. A leader who is confused and unsure. In the Gospel of John, when we see light, it's the presence of God. When we see darkness, you can interpret it as the absence of God, or you can interpret it the way Katie does, as someone perceiving the absence of God. I want to reread verses 19 through 21, and I'm going to make some substitutions. I want you to hear this. And this is the judgment. I'm going to substitute presence of God for light and absence of God for darkness. The presence of God has come into the world. And the people loved the absence of God rather than the presence of God because their deeds were evil. For all who who do evil hate the presence of God and do not come to the presence of God so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the presence of God so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Those who do what is true come to the presence of God so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. To have a new life in Christ is to have one grounded in the cross and in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God. The how things happen and change and influence your life is through the Holy Spirit. As we live our lives in this new life in Christ, our lives become a light to the presence of God. Our lives become a very witness, a very testimony, not to just Jesus Christ, but to the presence of God and the Holy Spirit moving acting around us, through us, and around us. Our lives become the witness. What do they witness to? John Wesley calls this the marks of the new life, or the marks of the new birth. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. As we sense the Holy Spirit moving around us, as we start picking up on those things that are the presence of God around us, our faith becomes deepened. As our faith deepens, we become more and more dependent on Jesus Christ, more and more dependent on the movement of the Holy Spirit, more and more dependent on the presence of God, and our faith reflects that. Faith and hope. Hope. We have a hope for that kingdom of God, not just in the eternal life, and yes, that is one of the hopes, but we also hope for the kingdom of God here, the here and now. And we hope that we will witness the will of God being acted out in our lives and in our neighborhoods, in our country, in the world. That's the hope for life abundant here and eternal life. And then there's love. With a new life in Christ, we start taking on the mind of Christ, which means we start seeing things the way God does. You know, people as beloved 
children of God. And when we start seeing people that way, people that God loves, we can't help but love them ourselves. And then we start acting out of love. Those of us who have that new life in Christ in the presence of God have no problem with that being the witness, being in the light, because it shows our life with Christ. To have a new life in Christ is to let God work in your life through grace. Everything that I've talked about can all come back to grace. We don't create a new life. That is God's gift to us freely given in grace. We don't change, move, or influence. God does that. It's God's work that God accomplishes in us and through us in grace. Grace that's active and alive. And just as Jesus told Nicodemus that to have this new life, you will see the presence of God. Jesus calls us to live our lives in the presence of God, to experience life abundant and eternal now and forever in the presence of a God who loves us more than anybody else ever could. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I need an usher, please, to come forward this